Okay, welcome to Progressive News Network's Environmental Justice Report. My name is Janine Moloff. I am the producer and your host. Well, this week I think we have a very on-point and a very interesting set of stories here. Um, needless to say, I've been watching other alternative media news shows, uh, including those on the right. You know, I, I criticize them a lot, so I wanted to see what passed for news on other uh, conservative outlets other than Fox, whether it was OAN or uh, what was the other one called? I forget. But um, And what I saw was pretty much what I suspected, which was uh, a lot of gossip, a lot of even more innuendo, where they would imply certain things that were definitely defamatory, and then just go, hmm, you think? <clears throat> Excuse me, folks. And... You know, it is what it is, folks. <coughs> Sorry about the coughing. It's February. My allergies are at their worst in February, believe it or not. So the advert this week with Environmental Justice Report, which is a companion show to Progressive News Network, is about the train derailment in Ohio and the cloud of toxic chemicals that was created by that derailment. Um it's also about the News Nation reporter that was arrested. So there was a very dangerous train derailment uh, in East Palestine, Ohio. You know, you would think that when they see a word, the people in Ohio would know it's Palestine, not Palestine. But that's how they pronounce it. So in East Palestine, Ohio, there was this horrible derailment. And this dangerous event turns out could have been prevented. So we're going to be talking about um, uh, basically a very important piece that was published in The Lever by uh, David Sirota, which really exposes this. Um, so we're going to discuss these two stories. So they've got the derailment and the dangers that this cloud of toxic chemicals still poses, in addition to the fact that this could have been prevented. The second story, which is kind of a companion piece, even though it's not presented in the corporate media that way, deals with the arrest of News Nation reporter Evan Lambert and the adjutant major general of Ohio, uh, Major General John Harris, Jr., who actually appears to have provoked the problem. Now, this story has actually overshadowed the derailment story. Now, while both stories are important, the second story has morphed into this giant, um, you know, this giant piece on government abuse of journalists, even though we've seen government abuse of journalists for many years now, tracing all the way back definitely to Ferguson, maybe a little before. And the reason why I say that the, the uh, arrest of News Nation reporter Evan Lambert has overshadowed the derailment story and why that's important. It has, actually. You know, everything was about the derailment for, you know, that happened last week for several days. Then this reporter gets arrested. Now everything's about that. And to me, this reminds me of when I was watching the Young Turks with, Ch with Cenk Uger. You know, Cenk loves to point out that, well, this is kind of like if you want to distract your dog and go, squirrel! And the dog, chase, the dog looks that way instead of, you know, the way he or she was looking previously. 
a big distraction. I'm not saying that it was a conspiracy or anything. Uh, I'm saying that it was politically very convenient. It should be mentioned that the Major General Adjutant, Major General John Harris Jr., who is the adjutant of the Ohio National Guard, Ohio National Guard, also is a member of Governor DeWine's cabinet. So while Governor DeWine claims that he had nothing to do with this arrest, didn't know what was going on, little hard to believe when it's a member of your own cabinet that triggers this. So again, not making accusations, but pointing out very unusual discrepancies and, and, and asking the hard questions. Now, those are the two main stories. And then, of course, we're going to be talking about, um, you know, the jackass of the week. And we have a really funny jackass of the week this year, this this week. Um, I'm using, I'm borrowing and using one of uh, comedian singer Randy Rainbow's um, little diatribes because it, it's hilarious. It really is. So with no further ado, let's dive into our first story. So the first story deals with the train derailment about a week ago in East Palestine, Ohio. So the first story, we're going to go to PBS, which is Public Broadcasting uh, Service. And the headline uh, is Residents Concerned About Toxic Gases from Ohio Train Derailment. It's a story by Brittany Peterson and Seth Borenstein that are both from the AP, the Associated Press. So let's move on to that first documentation, okay? So days after the derailment, okay, the, the train that was uh, a member of the fleet from the Norfolk Southern Railway, um, the train carried about 50 cars, and 10 of those 50 cars carried what are called hazmat or hazardous materials. And it derailed uh, in a, what they call, quote, a fiery crash, not this Friday, but last Friday in East Palestine, Ohio. And this was, as reported by rail operator Norfolk Southern, as well as the National Transportation Safety Board. Now, among the toxic chemicals that the train was transporting, the toxic materials the train was transporting was vinyl chloride. And vinyl chloride, according to this piece, I'm just going to read straight from it right now, quote, vinyl chloride was slowly released into the air, into the air Monday from five of those cars before crews ignited it to get rid of the highly flammable toxic chemicals in a controlled environment, creating a dark plume of smoke, end quote. Um, okay, I have so many questions about this. Uh, apparently, and again, the crews, my understanding, came from the National Guard. And But again, don't quote me. Uh, but the crews ignited this vinyl chloride to get rid of the toxic chemicals, which are, my understanding, is released by igniting it. But they say it's a controlled environment. But what controlled environment? I mean, there was a dark plume of smoke that was released into the atmosphere. Now, maybe they controlled the burn, but, you know, it, it, they say a controlled environment makes it sound like, okay, they took this material that, uh, was, that had the vinyl chloride and maybe they put it into a room and ignited it there. Case. 
this plume of dark smoke was released into the atmosphere. So maybe they kept it from being released further on. But, again, I, I question the safety of that procedure. Um, now, keep in mind, the, this piece by the AP goes on and says, quote, residents in the immediate area there and nearby in Pennsylvania were evacuated beforehand because of health risks from the fumes and can't yet return Wednesday as the impact of burning vinyl chloride is a concern, end quote. Okay. How often does a state, especially a state run by a Republican governor, how often do they go to the point of the trouble of evacuating an entire town? They don't. Usually, Dem or Republican, usually just cover it up. It's my opinion. But what's vinyl chloride? And this article goes into it. Uh, apparently, vinyl chloride is used to make the um, hard plastic resin, which is polyvinyl chloride, that you see in a lot of plastic products. Uh, it's also found in other products, including credit cards, furniture, and car parts. But most often it's used in those little you know, PVC plastic pipes yeah, and used in plumbing. And then they ask, is it dangerous? Oh, here you go. This is according to cancer.gov, the federal government's National Cancer Institute, quote, vinyl chloride is associated with increased risk of liver cancer and other cancers, again, according to the federal government's National Cancer Institute, end quote. So why were they getting rid of it by doing, even if it's controlled burn, burning it and releasing it into the atmosphere? Again, I don't know. But I'm asking the question. It goes on to say, and I'm, again, I'm reading straight from the article now, quote, the effect, namely resulting cancers, was studied in PVC pipe makers who breathed in vinyl chloride and developed rare liver cancers, said Ruth Lund, who studies carcinogens at the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences, end quote. According to Lund, quote, if you worked longer, you had a higher risk, and if your exposure levels were high, you had a higher risk, end quote. They're releasing it into the atmosphere by doing even a controlled burn. Isn't that putting the people of East Palestine, Ohio, at increased risk? Doesn't that mean that their exposure levels will be high, even if they're gone for a week or two? When they come back, you know, again, my question is this, what testing, what environmental testing are they doing right now to determine how much of these of these hazardous materials are still in particulate form in the air around East Palestine, Ohio, and other communities? Is there any testing being done there? So far, I haven't seen any evidence of that. So when, they, when the officials, including the National Guard, gives the uh, green light to say it's all safe to come back home now, how do we know that? What environmental testing was done other than the limited testing done by the National Guard? As far as I know, none. So they can't really say that it's safe. So going on to this, what happens when it burns? In other words, the vinyl chloride. Quote, officials warned the controlled burn would send phosgene and hydrogen chloride into the air. Okay. Is this is addressing my concern. End quote. I'm going to read that again. 
So what th- this article by the AP is asking now, what happens when you burn vinyl chloride even in a controlled burn? Okay, this is my concern. Uh, and they say the following, quote, reading straight from the article, quote, officials warned the controlled burn would send phosgene and hydrogen chloride into the air. Phosgene is a highly toxic, colorless gas with a strong odor that can cause vomiting and breathing trouble, and it was used as a weapon in World War One. end quote. It goes on to say, quote, phosgene is considered safe at 0.1 parts per million during an eight-hour exposure, or 2.2 parts per million, or ppm, for a 15-minute exposure. The eight-hour exposure threshold would have to be even lower when measuring inside people's homes, where residents often spend more than eight consecutive hours. End quote. It goes on to say, quote, hydrogen chloride, so we're talking about phosgene now, quote, hydrogen chloride is a colorless to yellowish gas with a strong odor, and its its primary effect on humans is skin, eye, nose, and throat irritation. It is considered safe at five parts per million for an eight-hour exposure, end quote. Okay, so apparently there are officials that were worried about this controlled burn, which as far as I'm concerned was a stupid idea. Okay, now what is being monitored according to this this PBS piece. So it turns out the Environmental Protection Agency did weigh in. Uh, um, An official named James Justice, oh, that's an ironic name. It says here, quote, James Justice of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency said a network of air station monitors inside and outside the evacuation zone was collecting samples and that none of their readings found anything to be concerned about. We want to make sure that's not going to change, he said, end quote. So, okay. I can admit when I'm wrong, so apparently they are monitoring the they have some air station network net mo, bleh, they have some air station monitors and they are monitoring, although I wonder exactly how ex, how they're monitoring, you know, how how in depth the, the monitor is for particulate release. You know, especially microscopic part, particulates. Goes on to say, quote, Justice said the agency is still working with experts to determine safe levels for various gases before reopening the evacuation zone. The incident response team did not specify what substances they are monitoring, end quote. That sentence bothers me. The incident response team should, the public is right to know what they are actually monitoring. We know they're monitoring for vinyl chloride, for phosgene excuse me, for phosgene and for hydrogen chloride, but what else? Okay, that tells me, that that suggests that there are other substances that they may be monitoring and they're not telling the public. Um, This article goes on to say, quote, the gases that experts suspect are in the area, okay, I'm just reading straight from the article, quote, the gases that experts suspect are in the area are heavier than air, which means they could be sitting in low-lying areas if not completely dissipated. Um, goes on to say, quote, National Guard members wearing protective gear are taking readings inside homes, basements, and businesses, Major General John Harris, Jr. said. PA also sampled nearby rivers to determine whether there has been any water contamination and is awaiting results, end quote. Now, this article was published. I, get, I need my 
my magnifier. February 8th. It's been a couple days. Okay. Um, let's go on. So when will the risk be over? Um, now, they did. this article did cite an expert, George Gray, who's a public health professor at George Washington University, um, who the article says, quote, whatever chemicals are in the air, gases largely dissipate fairly rapidly when out in the open. Gray said, quote, sunlight can change that. The movement of air can change that. Temperature can change that, end quote. And, of course, the residents are concerned about low-grade exposure, okay? Um, so they quoted Mason Shields, a resident of East Palestine, um, and he said, quote, there's all that smoke and all those chemicals in there. I'm wondering if it's even going to be safe for people to return within the next week or month or however long, end quote. Okay. So it should be noted that the reporters that, that did this piece, um, Seth Borenstein reported from Kensington, Maryland, okay, which kind of tells me something, too. They didn't go to the site. All right. This is something that's very concerning. Very, very concerning. Um, this has been going on. This There's another piece by PBS. The headline is Oil Derailment That Released Toxic Chemicals Raises Railway Railroad safety questions, okay? And this was done February 9th. Uh, this article was done by Josh, Josh Funk of the Associated Press. And again, this was a fiery derailment. It was carrying toxic chemicals, okay? So how did this happen? Well, I've done a little reading here, and not necessarily this article, but what I found out was that the braking systems in the majority of freight trains, it's the same braking system that was created in, I hope you're sitting down, 1868. I'm going to say that again. They're using braking systems, the same braking systems that were created in 1868. That is truly frightening because I know we've had improvements in braking systems since 1868. A few short years after the Civil War ended. Now, the railroad industry loves to push itself as the safest option in terms of transporting goods and people. But again, like most things in this country, our infrastructure is woefully deteriorated. We, this country has not invested in infrastructure for decades. Um, now, according to PBS... A piece written uh, February 8th is saying Ohio residents can return after air deemed safe after train derailment. Okay. Uh, I'm looking through this. You know, this is an article, a companion article on, by Associated Press that was run on PBS, and it just it doesn't list an actual author other than Associated Press. Um, and in this piece kind of skipping around here a little bit. Um, I just missed a two. 
there was a representative from the Ohio Environmental Protection Agency, a man named Kurt Collar, who said that, quote, contaminants from the, from the derailed tanker cars spilled into some waterways and were toxic to fish, but he added that data so far indicates that drinking water was protected. Excuse me, end quote. Um, again, the government has not released a list of all the hazardous materials that were on that train. It wasn't just vinyl chloride. Okay? Um, this is something that we need to be very concerned about. And if you look at the photos, my God, the train looks... Have you ever seen kids playing with, um, like, Hot Wheels, and they're going to, like, you know crash their cars and they're all over the place like tiddlywinks. That's what this train looks like. So this piece, um, the railroad safety piece, again, written by John Funk, Associated Press. The headline is Ohio derailment that released toxic chemicals raises railroad safety questions. And that's what we're talking about here. This derailment did not have to happen. Okay? It could have been prevented. All right. So while the railroad industry keeps pushing, the corporate heads keep saying, we're the safest option, okay? We're safer than planes. We're safer than the highway, you name it. The unions aren't saying that. In fact, according to this article, rail unions are basically saying that the industry has become much more high risk in part because of widespread job cuts. And then you got to remember when the railroad workers strike was forcibly settled. Okay. The workers were denied basic sick leave. So you have a workforce that's been savagely cut and these workers aren't allowed to hardly any sick leave. And they're using a braking system that was first created a few years after the Civil War ended, 1868. Gee whiz, wonder how this accident accident happened. So Ohio Governor Mike DeWine, who is pushed, you know, he's presented himself as this moderate Republican, but he shows up on Fox and Friends, and he's quote, saying, raises, quote, it raises all kinds of questions. Uh We've seen it up close and personal the last few days. This is a big, big deal, end quote. That's what DeWine said. The only thing I can say to Governor DeWine is, uh, duh. So they said half of the 4,800 residents in the eastern town, in East Palestine, and in residents in surrounding area, that included parts of Pennsylvania, mind you, were had to they were told to evacuate. And the EPA and other officials were monitoring air and water quality. That was after that controlled burn of chemicals. Okay. Now, according to this article, quote, the evacuation order was lifted Wednesday after the air was deemed safe. Okay. So this article was written February 9th. Okay. Let me look at this calendar here for a second. All right. I just want to kind of compare this here. Um, so the 9th was Thursday. The accident happened, what, Friday the 3rd? So in under a week, now it's magically safe after they did this controlled burn. 
question, why did they do the controlled burn? Why didn't they just move the substance, put it in some sort of cask-type container, and then move it out? Did the controlled burn have something to do with, I don't know, um, lessening any fines that the railroad would have to pay? Because a lot of times the fines are in cubic foot of pollution. I'm just asking the question. I really don't know. But I find it really difficult to believe that now it's safe. I don't buy it. Um, and apparently the residents there don't either. Uh, uh, one of the residents, Brittany Daly, was quoted, and she said, quote, I'm scared to go back home. I'm eventually going to have to go back, but it makes me want to sell my house and move at this point, end quote. Okay. Uh, again, now they also have a statement here from the head of the Association of American Railroads, which is a trade group. It's a man named Ian Jeffries. Now, when you have an industry and they call and there's a group and they call themselves a trade group. Okay. Trade group is <laughs> propaganda code for lobbyist. And Mr. Jeffries made the claim that, quote, ninety nine point nine percent of all hazardous material shipments reach their destination safely. I I would ask Mr. Jeffries of the of the Association of American Railroads, where did he get that statistic? How was that statistical determination formulated? What was the standard error, error of measurement? Because I actually know statistics. I'd like to know. Because that number alone is suspicious. 99.9% safe. All right. You know why he said 99.9%? Because in the law, and I'd be willing to bet Mr. Jeffries is probably a lawyer, but I don't know. When you fight this in a court in the law, there's no such thing as 100%. 100% would uh, imply perfection, and there is no such thing. So you do the next best thing, 99.9%. Now, if he had said 89%, 92%, whatever, okay, would have looked less suspicious. But 99.9%, really? And again, he is head of the Association of American Railroads Trade Group, which are lobbyists. Now, the Federal Railroad Administration has data that did um, document that hazardous chemicals were released, quote, during 11 train accidents nationwide last year out of roughly 535 million miles with only two injuries reported. In the past decade, releases of hazardous materials peaked at 20, both in 2018 and 2020. Okay, end quote. So there weren't injuries. That means, you know, no broken bones, I guess, or whatever. But that particular, that particular statistic, or alleged statistic, um, doesn't document any future risk. Okay. It's just a smokescreen as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Mr. Jeffries, again, from the Association of American Railroads, said, quote, railroads are the safest form of moving goods across the land in the country without question, but railroads are also working to drive towards zero incidents. Until we reach that goal, we haven't got to where we want to be, end quote. Okay. That's a big nothing. Talk about a nothing burger. Now, 
according to this article, railroads are allegedly try to basically plan the the travel route of hazardous material shipments on what they consider to be the safest path, according to this piece. Um, and it does say, quote, most of the worst derailments in recent years happened in rural areas. Okay. But, and you think, all right, that's less people involved, except if it's a rural area and if it's farmland or if that rural area houses, say, a major aquifer that supplies water to rural and urban areas, in the, you know, surrounding it, then it's not so safe, is it? Uh, it goes on to say, quote, but in 2013, a derailment in Canada killed 47 people in the town of Lac Mégantique and caused millions of dollars in damage. It goes on to say, quote, a 2005 derailment in Graniteville, South Carolina, killed nine people and injured more than 250 after toxic chlorine gases were released, end quote. Again, these trade groups, these lobbyists are basing injury on what's happening right now, like, you know, as a result of the derailment or shortly thereafter. And they want to limit the discussion to that very limited purview because then the public as well as government agencies are distracted from paying attention to the more insidious potential damage, which is greater cancer risk, greater risk of all sorts of neurological disorders, greater risk of possible birth defects from a release of these hazardous chemicals, which, again, we aren't even being told what was all on those trains. Okay? So this is something that we have to look at here. Um, it is safe to say, well, one thing I want to add is this. There was an East Palestine business owner along with two other residents of the same town, they filed a suit, a lawsuit against the rail operator Tuesday, and they alleged negligence. Okay? Uh, this goes on to say, quote, among other things, the lawsuit says the railroad failed to maintain and inspect its tracks and rail cars, failed to provide appropriate employment, employee training, and failed to reasonably warn the public, end quote. I agree. Now we have um, basically a state, they mentioned the president of the AFL-CIO's Transportation Trades Department Coalition, a man named Greg Regan. And Mr. Regan worries that, the, 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 that there could be another or maybe series of catastrophic derailments, and it's increasing because most of the major freight rail companies have, according to Mr. Regan, quote, eliminated roughly one-third of their workers over the past six years. He goes on to say, quote, companies have shifted to running fewer, longer trains and say they don't need as many crews, mechanics, and locomotives. Think about that. And I, I believe this president of the AF, this president of the AFL-CIO's Transportation Trades Department Coalition, he's rightfully worried. Because these freight, these freight rail companies, among other things, eliminated one-third, that's 33.3% of their workers in six years. And they're running fewer and longer trains because they don't need as many people. Okay? And keep in mind, 
because of the way President Biden, because I pick on both sides, Biden forced an end to the railway worker strike because they just wanted some sick leave. That played into this, too. So I blame both parties. And according to this article, quote, before those operating changes, Regan said inspectors used to have about two minutes to inspect every rail car. Now they only get roughly 30 to 45 seconds to check each car. Signalmen who maintain crossing guards and safety signals along the tracks also have bigger territories, making it harder to keep up with preventative maintenance. End quote. And a direct quote from Mr. Regan said this, from President Regan of the AFL-CIO, quote, they're really just trying to squeeze as much productivity out of these workers as they can. And when you're focused on time and rushing, unfortunately, sometimes things can fall through the cracks, end quote. Think about what I'm saying here and what this, the president of the AFL-CIO's Transportation Trades Department Coalition has said in the past six years. Okay, that means it started with the beginning of the Trump administration to the present day. We're on, you know, we're ending year two of the Biden administration. Okay, that the freight rail companies got rid of a third of their workforce. That's thirty three point three percent. And they run fewer, longer trains. On top of that, the inspectors, the very people we depend on to make sure the train is operating safely, carrying these hazardous materials, previously got two minutes to inspect every rail car. Since when is two minutes adequate? But now it's 30 to 45 seconds to check each car. Does that make you feel safe? I mean, I I just feel so blessed and safe, obviously being sarcastic here. That's insanity. Okay, um, And, of course, the government accident data shows that there have been more accidents. Not surprising. Now, the regulators, again, let me kind of backtrack here a little bit. Okay. So the regulators at the uh, Federal Railroad Administration are claiming that the accident data um, for the last couple of years up to now really doesn't show the industry's new operating model to be unsafe. Really? That's amazing. The unions are saying otherwise. Union leader Regan saying, quote, there isn't a lot of room for error. And certainly when you have hazmat, in other words, hazardous materials on trains, all across the country, going through communities, we shouldn't be making any compromises on safety whatsoever, end quote. And he's right. So it looks like the Biden administration, when it comes to railway safety, is just as pro-corporate as Trump was. Okay, so people say, well, Janine, you're just kind of a crazy lefty. Well, I am a lefty, but I'm also fair pick on both sides. This isn't about partisanship. This is about the truth. Now, according to this article still, uh, they cited a Professor Alan Zaremsky. Uh, Professor Alan, pro, bleh, excuse me, Professor Zaremsky uh, heads the University of Delaware's Rail Engineering and Safety Program. And uh, they're claiming that railroads are constantly working to improve safety and, and especially to prevent derailments. 
article goes on to say, quote, railroads are developing new acoustic detectors being placed along tracks to signal if a bearing is about to fail. Heat sensors also been in place for years to spot overheating bearings, which is one of the most common causes of an axle failure, according to Zaremsky. Um, now, this article goes on. I'm just reading from the article again. Quote, federal investigators have said the Norfolk Southern train crew received a warning about a mechanical problem shortly before an axle failed and caused the Ohio derailment. Okay. Um, and it goes on to say how railroads and the shipping companies that actually own the tank cars have been working to reduce chances that the tank car will actually rupture during a derailment and that the quote, the walls and shields protecting these tank cars have been thickened. More insulation has been added between the walls of those cars and the release valves are better protected to reduce the possibility they will be torn open in a crash, end quote. Now, um, earlier I said that this was written by the AP and they, by Josh Funk. Yes. Okay. This was written by Josh Funk and for the Associated Press and, um, also, another Associated Press reporter, Cantelli Franco in Columbus, Ohio, also contributed to this report. The thing about this report that kind of ticks me off, though, is they're saying that, well, you know, the Norfolk Southern train crew did get a warning about a mechanical problem, this failed axle. And they're saying the failed axle caused the Ohio derailment. Well, that perhaps. But the actual release of hazardous chemicals also had something to do with the fact that that train had that old braking system. And the old braking system is such that the first car breaks, then the second car, then so on and so forth. And so it's kind of like a slinky where it all bunches up and causes, you know, a worse crash. Uh, We're going to be talking about a new system that is far better than this one, okay? So, and this is, and the new system is called ECP, or Electronically Controlled Pneumatic Brakes, okay? When I say this could have been prevented, that's because the railway companies refused to spend the money, not only to up, to go to a up-to-date braking system, the ECP, from the braking system, the same braking system that has been in existence since 1868, when it was created, but then corporate also refused to spend money to have enough people operating these freight trains to allow enough time for inspectors to properly inspect, to allow sick leave for these people so they're not so exhausted they miss something, and to make shorter trains. If the train was shorter, the chance, if it does derail, the catastrophic uh results wouldn't be as bad. So now, I I know it's a lot to take in right now, okay? And I've been talking a while. Now we're going to go into this next part, okay? And this is, I found out that this next article, again, I was watching the Young Turks. And the source is from the Lever, and it was a piece written by the, um, you know, the head, the creator and head of the lever, Dave Sirota. Uh, the headline reads, Rail Companies Blocked Safety Rules Before Ohio Derailment. And as I said, and I keep saying, note here, 
the majority of today's freight trains use braking systems that were created in 1868. There's been no improvements in them since then. This is the problem. And corporate refuses to spend the money to upgrade to sane and modern braking systems such as ECP or electronically controlled pneumatic brakes. Furthermore, these same corporations operating the trains have made savage job cuts, as I said earlier, refused to allow remaining personnel basic sick leave, and one more thing, they've used the money that they've received, whether it was through infrastructure or whatever, to buy back their own stock. Okay, so instead of making sure that they had enough personnel to run this safely, instead of making sure that they had upgraded the braking systems to ECP, instead of making sure <laughs> that inspectors had plenty of time to make sure things were, you know, running properly. Instead of making, instead of running shorter trains, these companies, railway owners, used money to buy back their own stock. And those of you who've heard about the stock buyback, it, stock buybacks of a company buying back their own stock, up to, I think it was right before 1982, was illegal because it was considered to be a form of unethical stock manipulation, because it is. And then the Reagan administration made it legal. So they buy back their own stock to, you know, to, at a cheap price to then jack up the cost. So they're, they're gaming the system for extra money. Again, this could have been prevented, and it should have been. So let's go to the actual piece. Okay. Give me a second here, folks. Here it is. This was published February 8th, 2023 on The Lever. If you get a chance, definitely look up this site. Um, David Sirota does wonderful journalistic work. This piece, the headline is called, the headline is Rail Companies Blocked, Blocked Safety Rules Before Ohio Derailment. Uh, it was written by Dave, David Sirota, Julia Rock, Rebecca Burns, and Matthew Cunningham Cook. Okay. And the little subtitle reads, Norfolk Southern, that's the railroad in, involved in this derailment, Norfolk Southern helped convince government officials to repeal brake rules and corporate lobbyists water down hazmat, in other words, hazardous materials, safety regs. And you can see the picture. There's this enormous plume of black smoke. I, I, I just do not believe for a minute that it's safe for these people to go back. And, and if the governor thinks if the governor thinks it's safe to go back to East Palestine, Ohio, and if the adjutant major general John Harris Jr. thinks it's safe, then why don't they live in those homes for several months with no breathing gear? And let's see if they think that after offer that make the offer to them. I guarantee you they won't accept it. Okay, so the Norfolk Southern train derailed. They had, again, as I said, emergency evacuations. Keep in mind, Norfolk Southern was one of the companies that helped kill, quote, a federal safety rule aimed at upgrading the rail industry's Civil War era braking systems, according to documents reviewed by the lever. Okay. So um, I'm just reading straight from this quote. Though the company's 150-car train in Ohio 
reportedly burst into 100-foot flames upon derailing and was transporting materials that triggered a fireball when they were released and incinerated. It was not being regulated as a high-hazard flammable train, federal officials told the lever. 150-car train. Why does it need to be that long? They couldn't have broken this up into three or four trains? Okay. Again, I'm reading straight from this article because, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> I really can't improve on the work Sirota and his colleagues did. Quote, documents show that when current transportation safety rules were first created, a federal agency sided with industry lobbyists and limited regulations governing the transport of hazardous compounds. The decision effectively exempted many trains hauling dangerous chemicals, including the one in Ohio, from the high-hazard classification and its more stringent safety requirements, end quote. So if you want to blame somebody besides the railway company, you need to blame some industry lobbyists as well. Keep in mind, the decision to exempt many, many trains hauling hazardous materials, as including this one that derailed in East Palestine, Ohio, exempting them from more stringent safety requirements, we've got to ask some questions. Why were they exempted? Now, informally, we kind of know why. We can imply, well, you know, it's, you know, to borrow a phrase, and as a Jew, I can say this is all about the Benjamins, okay? Uh, the fact is, industry pays, and it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat, they get what they want. And they put this put profits ahead of not only safety, but the future health of this entire town. So if these people come down with cancer that's traceable to the release of those hazardous materials through this derailment, doesn't matter because you know what the company got to save a few pennies think about it and yes the government's at fault too you know this is playing semantic word games it's kind of like saying you're a little bit pregnant there is no such thing you know if it's a hazardous compound then it should be in the high hazard classification period we shouldn't be cutting corners on safety requirements that's it would any of these lobbyists want to live in East Palestine right now and for several months and deprive them of breathing gear? Of course not. And if I'm really angry, this makes me angry, okay? This is, again, another example of environmental injustice. This is an environmental crime that could have been prevented. Now, there was a lobbying blitz, as this article claims, and it was against stronger transportation safety regs. Uh, Norfolk Southern was one of many companies that paid executives, quote, according to this, Norfolk, quote, Norfolk Southern paid executives millions, billions on stock buybacks. All the while, the company shed thousands of employees despite warnings that understaffing is intensifying safety risk. And I'm going to read that again in its entirety because this is important. A little bit of my tea, quote. Amid the lobbying blitz against stronger transportation safety regulations, Norfolk Southern paid executives millions and spent billions, with a B, on stock buybacks. 
All the while, the company shed thousands of employees despite warnings that understaffing is intensifying safety risks. And the billions spent on stock buybacks is documented by uh, www.fool.com investing 2018 Norfolk Southern implements massive buyback program. It's right there in the article. The company shedding thousands of employees as documented by the Washington Post. The warnings and understaffing is intensifying safety risk as documented by APnews.com in their business section. This goes on to say, quote, Norfolk Southern officials also fought off a shareholder initiative that could have required company executives to, quote, assess, review, and mitigate risk of hazardous material transportation, end quote. And this shareholder initiative that Norfolk Southern execs fought off is documented by www.sec.gov divisions. So they fought their own shareholders. They knew, they knew the risk was high. They knew, they gambled, they thought, oh, if a derailment happens, you know, what's, what's the government going to do? This is what, you know, when they call deregulation, regulation, let's call it regulation what it is. Regulation is another piece of jargon for rule of law. God. Okay, so the sequence of events that led to this really began a decade ago. And there was an uptick in derailments of trains that were carrying crude crude oil and hazardous chem- chemicals, and that was as documented by the New York Times. Okay? And they mentioned a New Jersey train crash, train crash that leaked the same um, toxic chemical that the East Palestine train leaked. And that's as documented by response.restoration.noaa.gov, so the NOAA agency. So the Obama administration in 2014 did propose some regulations to improve safety for trains that were carrying petroleum, but also for carrying other hazardous materials. So I've got to give credit where credit's due. The idea sounds great. Unfortunately, like many things the Obama administration tried to do, the minute they came across, in my opinion, some, you know, some resistance, they folded like a house of cards. This is why people get mad at corporate Democrats. They don't fight. So it's 2014. The Obama administration saw what was happening with, you know, train derailments, freight train derailments in particular, that were carrying crude oil as well as other hazardous materials. So they said, look, we want some improved safety regulations, not only for the trains that are carrying petroleum and petroleum products, but also trains carrying other hazardous materials. But then the industry fought back, and the final regulations were just whittled down to a very narrow wisp of what it was supposed to be, okay? And it only focused on transporting crude oil. That's it. It exempted trains that were carrying other materials that were combustible or flammable, including the chemical that was involved in the East Palestine, Ohio disaster. Okay. All right. So that's what happened then. Now, 2017 happens. The monster Trump comes into office. Okay. And the rail industry donated more than, quote, six million to Republican campaigns. And that is as documented by 
OpenSecrets.org. Okay? So the Trump administration was also backed by rail lobbyists. Okay? And this is documented by RailwayAge.com. Okay? And Republicans in the Senate took that earlier Obama rule and rescinded part of it. And, um, well, they rescinded part of the rule that was going to make better braking systems on all the trains nationwide. Keep in mind, they resisted improving the braking system that they've been using, which originates to 1868. Do you hear how pitiful that is? Now, more specifically, the regulators in the Trump administration just killed off any provision that required rail cars carrying hazardous or flammable materials to be equipped with electronic braking systems. Now, these electronic braking systems, or ECP, are able to stop trains much more rapidly than the conventional air brakes. The air brakes are basically that old system, again, traced back to 1868. They're they're holding on to a technology that was developed a few years after the end of the Civil War. I keep saying it because it's so insane sounding, but it's the truth. Now, here's where it gets really crazy. The company responsible for this derailment, Norfolk Southern, earlier on during, uh, I think it was, let's see, I think it was during the Trump administration, um, according to this article, quote, Norfolk Southern had previously touted the new technology known as electronically controlled pneumatic brakes, or ECP, for its potential to reduce train stopping distances by as much as 60% over conventional air brake systems, end quote. And this is as documented by, give me a second, nscore.com. Okay, you can look at the, you can look at the article yourself. Um, but the lobby group for the company pressed for a repeal of that rule. Okay, and that's as documented by www.regulations.gov, okay? And the company's lobby group basically told regulators that the comp- that basically that forcing companies or requiring trains to have the ECP brakes, an up-to-date braking system, in other words, quote, would impose tremendous costs without providing offsetting safety benefits, end quote. I don't know what they're talking about. So you mean being able to stop a train by as much as 60% is not a safety benefit worthy of the investment? But apparently these lobbyists don't live in East Palestine, Ohio. And you can figure out which argument won with Trump officials. They went with the lobbyists. As much as I despise Trump, and I do, okay, the Biden, in all fairness, Biden administration hasn't moved to reinstate the brake rule or expand which trains are subjected to more stringent safety requirements, okay? Um, and that's outrageous, okay? So uh, they quoted Steve Dittmeyer, who is a former senior official at the Federal Railroad Administration, 
And Mr. Dittmeyer told the lever, <laughs> excuse me, quote, would ECP brakes have reduced the severity of this accident? Yes. The railroads will test new features, but once they are told they have to do it, they don't want to spend the money, end quote. And you think, well, that sounds crazy, right? You read between the lines, what I'm hearing is the railroads would be fine, I suspect, with this addition if the public paid for it. Okay. That's just the railroads and the lobbyists um, being freeloaders, financial freeloaders on the taxpayer, and they won't clean up their mess. So, Sirota and his team did mention following, quote, Norfolk Southern did not answer questions about its efforts to weaken safety mandates. <laughs> the company also did not answer questions about what kind of braking systems, what, what, I'm sorry, let me start again. <laughs> it's February, folks, and my asthma kicks up bad in February. Okay, so, Sirota and his team documented the following, quote, Norfolk Southern did not answer questions about its efforts to weaken safety mandates. The company also did not answer questions about what kind of braking system was operating on the train that derailed in Ohio. The company referred the lever to the National Transportation Safety Board, the federal agency that is investigating the, aid, the accident and that had originally called for more expansive rules governing the transport of hazardous materials. A spokesperson for the agency confirmed to the lever that the derailed train was not equipped with ECP brakes, end quote. That means the derailed train in East Palestine, Ohio, had the old air brakes that were created, initially invented in 1868. Because don't you know, we've had no further engineering improvements since 1868. I don't mean to make light of it, but this is so nutty. Um, this goes on to say, quote, a spokesperson for one advocacy group pressing for tougher safety regulations said the Ohio disaster is the latest consequence of the rail industry's cost-cutting, profit-for-all-cost profit business model, uh, end quote. And then they quote Rod Kamenkow, who is a rail, who's been a rail worker, railway, yeah, let me start again. They quoted a longtime railroad worker. Ron Kamikow. Kamikow is also an organizer with Railroad Workers United. To quote Ron Kamikow, quote, prior to the stock buyback era, see that again? Railroads agreed that ECP brakes were a good thing. The railroads hadn't yet come to the realization that they could do whatever they wanted. ECP brakes were on the drawing board, then off, end quote. And what I want to point to is the big thing in Kamikow's quote, prior to the stock buyback era. If the stock buybacks hadn't been allowed, they really do need to be made illegal again, the railroads probably would have, would have protected their investment and done this with some pressure. Now, let's talk about the old braking systems that uh, Norfolk Southern and the others are desperate to hold on to because they don't want to spend the money. This was a, the majority of our nation's trains. Okay. Our nation's railway, railways are so antiquated. It's beyond belief. 
you know, Japan has a supersonic train. Europe does. We have trains with braking systems dating back to a few years after the Civil War. That sounds redundant because I need to keep pushing this point. Okay? These traditional air brakes, again, developed in 1868, quote, make emergency stops more slowly and with higher rates of damage than trains equipped with ECP brakes, according to both safety advocates and the Federal Railroad Administration. And that's as documented by, can't see it, squarespace.com and railroads.gov. <laughs> that's a weird one. And then they explain why this happens, okay? So just to, I'm reading straight from the article again. I can't improve on it. Quote, while air brakes, in other words, the old ones, the 1868 ones, quote, while air brakes stop cars, stop train cars individually as air pressure moves sequentially. Um, let me start again. Quote, while air brakes stop train cars individually as air pressure moves sequentially from one car to the next, ECP brakes operate using an electronic system and can stop an entire train much faster. And there's a great quote here um, that the Washington Post used as well. Um, and it was a quote from a railroad industry insider who claimed anonymity in 2016. Quote, trains are like giant slinkies. When you have the back of the train running into the front of the train, they can actually push cars out cause a derailment, and cause a hell of a mess, end quote. And that is exactly what you see in those pictures in East Palestine, Ohio, with the derailment there. The analyst said, quote, ECP braking takes the energy out of the train quicker, so when a train does derail, there is less energy that has to be absorbed by crushing tank cars, end quote. Okay? So, starting back in the 2000s, the early 2000s, so that would have been like the George W. Bush administration, then the Obama administration, and then the Trump administration, and now Biden. Okay, so you've got Republican, Democrat, Republican, Democrat, picking on both sides. Federal rail regulators were really pushing the railroad industry to upgrade to these ECP, these electronic brakes. Um there was a 2006 technical report that was commissioned by the FRA, okay, by the Federal Rail Administration, and it concluded that ECP, quote, could significantly enhance rail safety and efficiency, end quote. Um, and the agency took the position of promoting widespread adoption of the technology, ECP, and that's as documented by railroads.gov. I'm not making it up. Um, again, as we stated earlier, the railroads, including Norfolk Southern, the idea they really did. Um, and one of the reasons they liked it is because they rationalized the railroads and the, the railroads rationalized that quote regulators could exempt upgraded trains from other safety mandates, saving time and money on frequent stops for safety inspections. End quote. And that's as documented by www.regulations.gov. Okay, so it wasn't uh, early on. Uh, companies like Norfolk Southern and other train companies 
They liked that ECP brakes not because they gave a damn about safety. It was because they thought, okay, we can just get rid of these other regulations and save money that way, and we'll save money because we won't really need that many inspections or that much pers- that many personnel. But then, um, and, and it goes on to say here there was a 2007 hearing. Before the Federal Railroad Administration, so this is the Trump, I mean, I'm sorry, the Obama administration, um, the manager of engineering for Norfolk Southern's fleet, a man named Donald Usack, did testify, quote, to the big advantage for emergency braking, end quote. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Usack went on to say, quote, we all know the saying, as fast as the speed of light. So does electricity travel at the, spe- so, so does electricity travel at the speed of light. Signals from the engineer are at the rear of the train instantly. Signals initiated to any one of the vehicles in the train are throughout the train instantly, end quote. So again, they were fine with it. Later that year, when Norfolk Southern was reporting quarterly earnings, they were bragging to their investors that they made railroad history, quote, by equipping one of its trains exclusively with the new ECP technology and announced plans to add the safety feature to 30 or 30 more of its trains in the coming months. And this is as documented by nscore.com. So, in other words, it was on Norfolk Southern's own letterhead. So they can't deny it. But then all of a sudden, the industry changed their mind. Okay? And that was because of 2014 and the, and the idea of making the upgrades mandatory. Okay, so this goes on. 2014 happens. There was there were several high-profile rail accidents. Okay, and the again, it's still the Obama administration. The Pipeline and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration were, you know, proposing this regulation that would require, as we said earlier train cars that were carrying hazardous materials to be retrofitted with these safety features, including ECP brakes. And the proposed, and I'm just reading straight from this now, quote, the proposed regulation also imposed speed limits on trains carrying hazardous materials and required volatility tests for the substances being transported, end quote. So 2014, Obama administration, there's several high-profile rail accidents and derailments, pipeline and hazardous material safety administration pushes this regulation that would require the railroads to have multiple new safety regs, including the ECP brakes. And they would have to do it over basically a decade time period. So they'd get a decade. They'd get 10 years to do this, all right, um, which is not sudden, okay? They, they this was not that strong a regulation in its beginning. It would give them 10 years to do this, all right? The other regulations were, you know, speed limits on trains that are carrying hazardous materials. I don't see a problem with that. And then volatility tests. What they're saying is <coughs> tests to see how dangerous these materials are. And, of course, this would apply to certain industries. So what happened? Railroad, oil, and chemical industries went to town and they fought. And the lobbying group they used was the American Association of Railroads. And, you know, Norfolk Southern has been a dues-paying member to this group 
for a very long time, and they really fought the new braking standards. Okay? So the association, in one of their comment letters, on their own letterhead, said the following, quote, AAR, which is the American Association of Railroads, quote, AAR strongly opposes any requirement to use ECP brakes. ECP brakes would be extremely costly without providing an offsetting benefit. Um, the Federal Railroad Administration assumed that business benefits would more than compensate for the cost of ECP brakes, but industry to this day has not identified business benefits that would justify transitioning to ECP brakes, end quote. Then Norfolk Southern also lobbied against requiring ECP brakes. So at first they liked it, but the minute the Obama administration said, nah, this has been too much crap, you got to do it, then they lobbied against it. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> In 2015, Norfolk Southern's vice president, a man named Rudy Husband, um, testified, legislative testimony, told Pennsylvania lawmakers that even though the company planned to comply with the new rule, quote, the rail industry has serious concerns about the ECP brake requirements and the potential adverse impacts on the fluidity of the National Freight Rail Network, end quote. So then they decide to play games with the name of the hazard. <laughs> I'm sorry, folks. <laughs> so it wasn't enough to fight the brakes. They wanted to make sure they fought all of it. So lobbyists for the industry also pushed to limit the kinds of chemical compounds that would be covered by the new regulations, including the brake rule. So they, they proposed the idea, they wanted to limit the definition of, quote, high hazard flammable trains, or HHFT, to basically cover oil trains. But it wouldn't cover trains that carry like industrial chemicals like the one that was released in East Palestine, Ohio, that required the evacuation of the whole town. Um, the American Chemical Council, which is a lobby group for chemical companies, wrote a letter saying, following, saying the following, quote, it would be inappropriate to include those other flammable liquids in the rule without assessing how and in what quantities they are shipped and what risks are associated with their transportation, end quote. Now, the NTSB, the National Transportation Safety Board, which is the agency that's supposed to actually investigate transportation accidents, argued for, obviously, a broader definition on high-hazard flammable trains. But they're playing games with the semantics to avoid doing what they're supposed to be doing. That's it. You know, we can go on. You can... Um, th this it just goes on and on and on. Okay, so um, let's see. Let me go on here. The NTSB wanted the rules to cover what they call Class II flammable gases, and that would be a category that includes vinyl chloride, which is was in the released in the Ohio train that derailed. Um, and the regulators also noted, quote, that, quote, comments from the concerned public, local government, tribal communities, towns, and cities voiced concern that the industry's proposed definitions of high-hazard flammable trains were too narrow, and some commenters even suggested that a train consisting of one or more tank cars carrying crude oil or any other hazardous material should be classified as an HHFT, end quote. Um, there was a mayor of a Chicago suburb where, suburb 
where there's a lot of rail traffic coming through. And this is a document by ABC7, Chicago.com, who told regulators, quote, we support comments seeking to ensure that all tank cars, including uh, that all tank cars using the transport of Class II flammable hazmat, not only those in HHFTs will be covered by the agency's new rules. Okay. So in 2015, the Obama administration did push, they issued the new transportation rule, but it was the weaker one. Okay. The final definition of high hazard flammable trains um, did not reflect the expansion that the National, Tra uh, National Transportation Safety Board wanted. The regulations only applied to trains with more than 20 cars in a single block that were carrying hazardous materials or 35 located throughout the train. The rule did require ECP braking for a subset of rail cars that would still be classified as eight high hazard flammable trains, <clears throat> but the rule was limited. Okay. Now, after the rule was enacted, the railroad industry went to Congress and they found allies in the Republican Party. Okay, this is the same rail industry that dumped six million into GOP coffers, and that's as documented by OpenSecrets.org. And who is the Senate's third third largest recipient of railroad railroad campaign contributions? Call them what they are bribes. Senator John Thune of South Dakota. And because of that, Senator Thune pushed to, quote, repeal the electronic braking rule outright. But then he settled for a measure that um, required additional research as well as a new cost-benefit analysis of the technology. So stalling, in other words. Okay. And this is this documented by Business Insider and Business Insider. Then Donald Trump got in, and the breaking upgrades just flash and burn. Didn't happen. So this is what happened, folks. <clears throat> you can read this yourself. Um, we still don't know what was all in that train. We've only been told some of the things that were classified as a hazardous material. When the residents of East Palestine, Ohio, were um, that lived within a mile of the accident were told to evacuate, they were warned by the government, uh, quote, that the flammable materials in the rail cars could explode and launch deadly shrapnel as far as a mile, end quote. <coughs> So the crews on Monday, they, quote, according to um, news5cleveland.com, they released, that's the term they use, released the vinyl chloride and burned it. So instead you got this mushroom cloud of toxic gas. I don't see how that's an improvement. <clears throat> now here's the kicker. Federal officials in the Biden administration told believer, Sirota's team, that this train in East Palestine, Ohio, wasn't classified as a, quote, high hazard flammable train. And it wasn't classified under, quote, the more limited definition outlined by the 2015 Obama rule. Okay. 
Uh, the NTBSB spokesperson said, quote, the train did not qualify as an HHFT under the regulations. Okay. Um, <coughs> I'm sorry, folks. Um, the former FRA official, Dittmeyer, issued a quote, quote, the definition of an HHFT, in other words, a, um, excuse me, high hazard flammable train is too narrow if it does not include a train like the one that derailed last Friday in East Palestine, Ohio. In fact, it defies logic that the train was not defined as an HHFT, end quote. Now, the federal investigators say the derailment was caused by a mechanical issue with a rail car axle. Okay? Quote, Dittmeyer and two other experts told the lever that ECP braking probably would have reduced the damage caused by the derailment by bringing the train to a halt more quickly and stopping all of the cars simultaneously. End quote. John Risch, who's a former BNSF engineer and also the National Legislative Director for the Sheet Metal Air Rail and Transportation Union, said the following, quote, if the axle breaks, it's almost certain that the train is going to derail. ECP brakes would help to bring the train to a stop. What they do is activate the brakes on each car at the same time immediately. That's significant. When you apply the brakes on a conventional trail, they brake from the front to the rear. The cars bunch up, end quote. In other words, the slinky effect. Rich also said that ECP brakes are, quote, the most remarkable advancement, end quote. Um, it needs to be implemented. <clears throat> and he served as a railway worker for 31 years. <coughs> I'm sorry, folks. <coughs> mm. So the seven largest freight railway, yeah, excuse me, of the seven largest freight railroad companies in the United States, which includes Norfolk Southern, did they invest in ECP beyond one or two little trains? No, they did not. Instead, according to this article, they spent $191 billion, with a B, on stock buybacks and shareholder dividends between 2011 and 2021. And that's just documented by, I can't see this, by STP, STB as in boy, dot gov. Um, <clears throat> which was much more than the $138 billion firms spent on capital investments in the time, same time period. That's documented by AJOT.com. So these seven, the seven largest freight railroad companies, instead of investing in the ECP brakes and other safety features, um, they did spend $138 billion on capital investments, <clears throat> but that's not safety. But on top of it, they spent $191 billion as well, with a B, on stock buybacks and shareholder dividends. All the while, fighting the railway workers, denying them sick leave. They also slashed their workforces. According to this article, quote, the same companies also slashed their workforces by nearly 30%. The other one said a third. In that time frame, as part of what they called precision scheduled railroading. Such staffing cuts are likely contributing to safety issues in freight railways, 
In a recent investor presentation, Norfolk Southern disclosed an increase in train accidents over the past three consecutive years. Again, Norfolk Southern documenting, admitting it themselves. Okay. Um, Greg Regan, again, president of the Transportation Trades Department of the AFL-CIO, told the lever, quote, the massive reduction in the workforce, attendance policies that encourage people to come to work when they're sick or exhausted, lack of access to paid leave, the stress that is constantly put on workers because of how lean the workforce has become, it creates a negative culture in terms of safety, end quote. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry, folks. So, again, I'm an equal opportunity harasser. As much fun as it is to pick on Trump and the Republicans, you've got to tell the truth. So what was the Biden administration's response to these worker concerns? Last fall to levernews.com. Uh in uh, an article uh, titled, Biden is Breaking His Sick Leave Promise to Crush Rail Workers. President Biden Congress really aided and abetted the industry to crush, uh, basically, the rights of rail workers to have paid sick leave. And instead, he blocked the strike. Okay. And this is the president claims he loves trains. Well, you know what? He loves trains so much then he should also love the very necessary safety regs. This isn't a partisan issue. This is a safety issue. This is an an issue of accountability and concern for human life and the environment. It's an issue of environmental justice. If this derailment had happened... Let's say outside Mar-a-Lago, do you think they would have gotten away with this? No. But it's apparently okay by corporate Dems and Republicans to dump on low and modest income communities. That's what's happened. <clears throat> man, oh man. All right, so what happened there? This could have been this could have been prevented. Most definitely. So now we're going to go to the next story. And this is how uh, a News News Nation reporter by the name of Evan Lambert was arrested for covering Governor DeWine's press conference. Now, to put bluntly, here's what happened. So News Nation reporter Evan Lambert was in the back of a gymnasium. By now a lot of people know this because it's been all over. And it was trying to report on Governor DeWine's um, press conference regarding the evacuation in East Palestine. (laughs) Oh, boy. So, apparently, um, besides the police being there, the man in charge of Ohio's National Guard, Major General John Harris, and... He, Major General John Harris thought that Evan Lambert was too loud. And there's video, and it doesn't look or sound like Lambert's being loud, actually. He's in the back of the gymnasium. Now, Governor DeWine claims he didn't hear anything, didn't see the arrest of Mr. Lambert. He didn't approve of it. In fact, Governor DeWine, in all fairness, 
push to make sure the police department released Lambert as quickly as possible on bail. How generous. But Major General John Harris confronted Lambert. He was doing a live report, and he thought that Lambert was too loud, and he was with two highway patrol troopers. And um, you know, here's what happened. The news conference was originally scheduled for 3 p.m. It had been delayed until 5. Lambert was That was the same time Lambert was scheduled to go live on News Nation. So he didn't have any choice but to do a live report. Now, there was an affidavit that was filed, um, and it was filed by Major General John Harris. Okay, and he accuses Lambert of being involved in an altercation. So the following statement was provided by Harris to local law enforcement. Um, During Governor DeWine's press conference on February 8, 2023, I heard very loud voices coming from the back of the gymnasium. Since most of the people in my immediate area were involved in the press conference as public information officers, don't you just love that title, or subject matter experts, I decided I was the best person to notify the source of the disruption that the press conference had begun. Keep in mind, because it was late, Lambert, I'm interrupting this, Lambert was scheduled to go live at 5 p.m. He had to give a live report. Upon Going back to the affidavit, upon reaching the back of the gym, I saw a cameraman and reporter making what I assumed was a recorded message. Upon telling the reporter the press conference had begun and they were disrupting it, they appeared to become agitated and informed me that they were broadcasting live. After stepping out of the shot and appealing to them to, quiet, to be quiet down, I waited for them to finish the work. As I began to offer the assistance of my PIO team, in other words, uh, a public information officer's team, to find a more suitable location, the cameraman demanded, hey, come over here. Confused, I told him that I would not come over there. I went back to conversing with the reporter who grew more agitated. He then became enraged. His eyes opened wide. He stared at me while very aggressively lurching at me. He screamed, you guys are the ones who strung this thing out. I assumed he was referring to the two-hour delay for the press conference. He is a much larger person than I am. (coughs) Excuse me. At that point, I was convinced he was prepared to do harm to me. I instinctively put my hands on his chest to keep him from bumping into me, which I felt was inevitable if I had not protected myself. That statement's important. I immediately removed my hands when there was space between us. We were in contact for less than a second. At that time, he immediately began yelling statements such as, Assault, did you see that? He assaulted me. That was witnessed by several law enforcement officers. The officers attempted to persuade him to stop being disruptive. Now convinced that I was involved in a contrived event, I removed myself from the immediate area and walked back to the press conference. As I walked away, I heard his voice continue to get louder and more hostile, and the commotion at the rear of the gym continued. At that point, I was no longer in a position to see what was happening, end quote. Now, this also goes on, and this is... Excuse me, this was supplied, let's see, well, um, the affidavit, um, the following people were involved, East Palestine Detective Dan Howder, Sheriff Brian McLaughlin, Chief Chief Deputy Jen Tucker, and Lieutenant Caleb Wyckoff, Um, and they were telling him to leave, Lambert refused, saying he was just doing his job, and then you see the video everybody's seen where these officers are slamming Lambert to the ground, and the whole story was contributed by WKBN Television. Um, and so, 
you know, basically he has uh, Lambert. <coughs> Excuse me. Lost my place here. So Lambert has been charged with resisting arrest and criminal trespass. Now, everybody's seen that one piece of, you know, of uh, video evidence, but there was another one. And this was, okay, I'm waiting for this. Um, this was an alternate, and this came about uh, February 10th. The headline says, stop, sir. New video shows Ohio National Guard commander shove reporter calling self-defense claim into question. It was written by Maya Body. And if you look at the footage, okay, you can see that minutes before the Ohio State Highway Patrol members arrested Lambert, this Ohio National Guard Adjutant General, John Harris, he shoved the reporter. And if you didn't know that this man was a major general in the National Guard, and if you didn't know Lambert was a reporter, it looked like, <clears throat> you know, a couple of kids kind of circling like they're trying to start a fight. But when, when the major general admitted that he put his hands on Lambert's chest, well, you can see in the video, he shoved Lambert. Okay, and, you know, this calling his statement into question. No, the Major General lied. Okay, it's quite obvious here. He just plain lied. All right, put bluntly. And, you know, the question then is, after this arrest of the News Nation reporter, the train derailment story itself received a lot less coverage, I noticed. And the arrest of the News Nation reporter, which is hideous, was all over the place, which is very politically convenient for Governor DeWine and for Norfolk Southern. Okay? That's what we're really talking about here. So I did put in some uh, calls and I filed an email request for information and sent questions to the media team for the National Guard at the national level, and I was referred to, uh, I think it's a Captain, Gen oh, a Captain Jenna Wal Walton, who handles it in Ohio. Um, I, pro I don't know if I'll get any sort of answer back. Uh, I have a problem with public information officers to start with. Uh, this, to me, looked a lot like, for one thing, the National Guard was there because they were helping in the cleanup and the evacuation. And the National Guard is supposed to be helping us. They're not supposed to be attacking us. All right. But I recall during Ferguson, because I was there on a daily basis, uh, when the Democratic governor, Jay Nixon, called in the National Guard, you know, violence happened in Ferguson late at night at 1 in the morning, not during the day. And they had posted snipers on top of the buildings, pointed at the peaceable protesters, many of which were elderly women and teenagers. Okay? That's what I recall. But the National Guard is supposed to be helping with that. But public information officers, to me, that sounds a lot like embedding reporters with the military. And you can just tell this major general, his hostility towards the News Nation reporter kind of implies, if nothing else, that he would have preferred them to behave like embedded reporters and just believe anything the military told them. Okay? 
And the fact is, one last thing to mention. Major General uh, John Harris, who is the adjutant, the man in charge of the Ohio National Guard, is also a member of Governor DeWine's official cabinet. So for Governor DeWine to very calmly and politely claim he didn't know anything about it, hogwash. I sincerely doubt if Governor DeWine just lets members of his cabinet do what they please. They serve at the governor's pleasure. So I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it at all. Um, you know, Major General or the Adjutant General of the Ohio National Guard, um, John Harris, the, the Adjutant General commands the Ohio National Guard, and I'm just reading from this webpage, from the National Guard webpage, and the Ohio National Guard with approximately 17,000 members. Um, these units can be mobilized at any time by the Governor of the State of Ohio in his capacity as Commander-in-Chief upon the declaration of a state of emergency. All right, that's fine. And so while Governor DeWine claimed he didn't authorize uh, Major General John Harris's attack on News Nation reporter Evan Lambert, and when Governor DeWine claimed he didn't authorize the, the attack or the arrest, the National Guard was present and involved, and the head of the Ohio National Guard, member of his cabinet, again, um, you know, we have some problems with the National Guard, okay? There needs to be some reform. I'm just saying. Keep in mind, the Kent State of Massacre, the Kent State of Massacre also happened in Ohio. And who were the murderers? The National Guard. Keep in mind also, in recent years, I'm not saying it's these guardsmen, but in recent years, during Afghanistan and Iran, a majority of the members of the military sent to Iran and Afghanistan came from the National Guard. You can't apply military policing to a civilian population and then be conf and pretend to be confused when it gets out of hand. Okay? Military generals don't like being questioned or second-guessed by civilians. The military is not a democracy. It is a dictatorship. And again, that particular major general really needs to be reprimanded and possibly prosecuted. So, when you look at this, it's just very politically convenient for Governor DeWine as well as, um, you know, the Biden administration and the railroads themselves that this story, the News Nation reporter arrest, kind of uh, upstaged the story of the derailment and what was released. And we still don't even know what hazardous chemicals, everything that was released yet. I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it's a mighty convenient, um, you know, time period. A mighty, mighty convenient uh, situation. Just saying. Okay. All right. So that's those are our stories now. So now, got a few little treats. We're getting ready for our Jackass of the Week award. But first, let me get it ready. Okay. Give me a second here, folks. Oh, it looks like we actually have somebody who is calling. And I will let them know. I don't take calls until I'm done with the my spiel, okay? So give me a second here. 
This person's raised their hand. They've been on hold for over 12 minutes because I was looking at my documentation, not at the actual web page itself. So I didn't see it until just now. But <laughs> we will get to that caller. We'll hold. We will get to it after the Jackass of the Week Award. Here we go. Welcome to Progressive News Network Environmental Justice Reports Jackass of the Week Awards. And this week we have a very special jackass. I wish I could play the video. I can't. So give me a second here. We have a very funny parody song. Our jackass of the week is new house speaker Kevin McCarthy. Here we go. Randy Rainbow. Hilarious. I can't take credit for this. Give me a second here. Got to get rid of the commercial. Sorry, folks. Here we go. Academy Awards dress had the decision-making process so grueling produced a result as god-awful as my next guest, barely elected Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. Kevin, how's it going? Well, Phil, the first week has been very productive. First, we've got a very good rules package that empowers okay, all... Okay, let's cut the shit. You've been handing out important committee assignments to election deniers, QAnon conspiracy theorists, pathological liars, and third-rate drag queens. Tell us, how else do you plan to drag this country down to the fiery pits of hell? We should start every day. How can we be more efficient? How can we deliver a more effective to the American public? And how can we do it in a more secure way that we don't spend as much? Please wrap it up. Why would we sit back and be so arrogant to say, no, there's no waste in government? Speaking of no waste, Donald Trump continues to influence much of your party. What is your response to those who say you're nothing more than a boot-licking, hypocritical, orange-nosed little puppet? Well, first, let's just take a pause. Let's sit down together. Let's look at the places that we can change our behavior. Welcome, monsieur. Get yourself down and watch the wackest shit show in town. What an ordeal. Some GOP. More like the real housewives of D.C. Let's just take a pause. I don't believe that's the case because Speaker of the House, cunning little chap, cover it conservative urban rule of crap. Thirsty as a fish, quick to compromise, only for some motherfucker that he tried. No one at the office likes him, and he's never dressed tonight. If he's come off the rack at Marshall's and his gavel Fisher prize. Speaker of the house, holding out the bride. Awesome when she's giving Susan Lucci vibes. Hitting off the left, paying off the right. Pushing an agenda of revenge and fight. Never will he leave this circuit. Moral power hungry whore. Think they hated Nancy Chance. See why they wouldn't hate you more. Look 
Jackass of the Week, Speaker McCarthy, Randy Rainbow, as no one else can. So I'm going to take this this uh, caller for a few minutes before final thoughts. Let's see now. Hopefully I click on the right thing. Hello? Hi, I'm calling from Charlottesville, Virginia. My name's Khalil. Mm-hmm. Um, I noticed, one of the things I noticed is... um. Is, is it all right if I share this with you? Sure. And one of the things I noticed is, um, like, as far as, like, like um, what is it, gun violence? Can I bring this up? Well, you can. We're not ta- The show wasn't about gun violence today, but I'll give you a few minutes. Talk. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. A lot, of, a lot of the people that, like, they'll call an actor a hypocrite for firing a gun in a movie – but mm-hmm. then these same people will bring up the Fast and the Furious. So if you call them a hypocrite, they don't want to see it. Oh, I, and I, so you're basically talking about the uh, effect me, popular media has on making guns look like they're not that making guns look like they're harmless when they're anything but. No, I'm saying that a lot of the people that that claim that the actors are hypocrites for shooting guns in movies but supporting gun control. Mm-hmm. They don't want to see it when it comes to um, not wanting police to have equal amounts of firepower while opposing gun control for civilians, you know, okay. or the Fast and Furious thing. Okay. Um, I'm I'm going to let you know I haven't watched Fast and Furious, so I don't really know the the actual reference. Um, no, what, I can, what I can say is this. This show wasn't about gun control today, um, right. just for the record. As somebody on the left, I actually support the Second Amendment. I think that every progressive should arm themselves very well because being a Jew, I know what happened. Hitler took the guns away. That being said, I don't believe children should have access to guns, and I don't believe people with mental illness should be. There should be some reasonable regulation. And here in my home state of Missouri, they won't even deny gun carrying a gun to children as young as 14, which is insane. So yeah. not everybody on the left is monolithic, okay? Um, I know. Yeah. So, just, and again, I... Just I, saying I that it, it's just no consistency with a lot of the people that oppose mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of people, they, they only oppose it when it benefits them. I'm not saying anybody on the left or right, right. or anybody. They oppose it when, it, when it's har- harm. They oppose it when it's helpful, but they support it when it's harmful. Right. And to me, that doesn't make that's an oxymoron. Yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, maybe in the future we'll do a show on gun control. I haven't done one. Uh, today we were doing the environmental justice report, which is, you know, again, uh, it wasn't about gun control, but I do appreciate your comments. 
And um, thank you. Thank you for calling. Bye bye. Welcome. Bye. How do I? Okay. All righty. Final thoughts. Okay. So at least he was a nice gentleman. I, I again, <laughs> we weren't talking about gun control. I've I've never done a show on that. Um, let's go to final thoughts. All right. And you know, I played Randy Rainbow, and it was funny. Okay, incredibly funny. But the truth be told, once again, you know, we see the results of this unbridled, unregulated corporate business model that basically acts as a predator viper that consumes anything, any of us that are deemed unusable. You know, this free market theory that you see all in the news shows, whether it's an alleged moderate like Chris Sununo, Sununu, or whether it is an extremist like Donald Trump or DeSantis, the free market theory has been elevated to this religion, and corporate heads serve as the high priest, and the public serves as a human sacrifice. You know, they talk about the wisdom of the markets. What wisdom? The market is a, you know, you know, is not a living thing at all. The market is a creation. Uh, it doesn't actually exist outside of our imagination, so therefore it can't have any wisdom. Now, the people running the markets, you could claim either do or do not have wisdom. Unfortunately, the people running the markets, the people that have the most control, are the billionaire class and the corporate class that, you know, basically, in my opinion, are like drug addicts, and their drug of choice is greed and power, and they can never get enough. You know, we basically have insane lunatics running things, and, you know, the insane lunatics are this corporate and billionaire class that are so arrogant that they think they know more than anyone else. They don't, but they believe so. And they are driving not just the economy, but driving this old planet off the proverbial cliff into extinction. And the fact that communities of color, religious minorities, low-income, modest-income people are the first ones sacrificed, are the first human sacrifices, doesn't mean that they will stop with that. Those of you that are comfortable enough, and I speak to the, the Democratic moderates that, you know, Dr. King resented, you know, the people that say they're social liberals but fiscal conservatives – you honestly think that in your nice little gated communities that this economic, that this, I'm sorry, environmental collapse isn't going to affect you? I mean, if you do, I've got a bridge in Brooklyn I can sell really cheap. That's how stupid that idea is. We're all in this together. I, I don't know how else to put it about the rich being so arrogant they just think they can just wave a magic wand and everything will be fine. And they want to deprive the rest of us. They're turning the rest of us into slaves. Then you have a Republican Party that wants to reverse the blame and call out leftists and progressives as the greedy ones. Except the facts don't bear them out. But then again, you've got the right wing that's allergic to facts, allergic to logic and reason, allergic to truth. Make no mistake about it. If you notice, I may have my opinions, but I documented everything. That's why a lot of times I read straight from the article. All right, you can read, especially at the Lever, Sirota's work is brilliant. Um, 
next week, providing I didn't goof on the recording, um, I recorded a wonderful, um, I wouldn't call it an interview, it was really a conversation with noted anti-nuclear activist Libby Halevi. And it was it was a hoot. Okay, she is marvelous. Um, and our our creator Rick Spizak also has another um, interview with an anti nuclear activist that will run. You need to tune in because next week will again be the Environmental Justice Report with me, Janine Moloff, the producer and host. As always, um, we're going to speak truth to power. No matter what. And we run this in the red. We don't make money off of this. Unlike the talking heads on Fox, the talking heads on OIN, the talking heads on America First, they're making big money. We're not making any money off of this. We're doing this because it's our ethical duty. And you do have to look at somebody's motive. You just do. And, again, I'm an equal opportunity uh Abuser, the truth's the truth, whether it's a Democrat that commits the wrong or a Republican, it makes no difference. So, you know, and again, Randy Rainbow, oh, God bless them. That was so funny. I will let you know that I'm toying with the idea of turning PNN and EJR into a YouTube channel so that I can actually show you these things. Um, we'll give more details of that later on. Um definitely check this out with that i say good night and god bless us because we need it (laughs) we need a hero truth be told god bless us and good night